From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. I think one of the beauties of medical practice is often the generational differences that exist within the subset of providers. And one of the beauties is that, you know, everybody learns from each other, right? Our differences are what make us great, not what make us, you know, any worse. And so those differences I think are so important in so many ways. And yet, when you look at transactions, you start to see different drivers from within the generational leaders or the generational partners. That's Amy Greeter talking about some of the driving forces between mergers and acquisitions in the medical practice space. We'll hear more from Amy in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Discover how DAX provides a better patient experience and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. Our guest today is Amy Greeter, Senior Vice President, Coker Group. Amy's here today to talk about the trends, challenges, and opportunities with mergers and acquisitions in the medical practice space. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me back. It always feels good to be invited to come back. It's like, oh, I couldn't have been too terrible the first time if you let me come back. That's a good (laughs) attitude and a good point there. So let's revisit then. We had you on, I believe it was late 2020 in the fall. Um, What's been going on in your world since then? I know what's been going on for the whole year. Uh, We're now, unfortunately, celebrating, you know, this sort of different environment with I know you're in your office but a lot of people are still remote I'm one of those I'm at home but uh what's been your world like the last I don't know four or five months since we talked well first of all how has it been four or five months since we last talked you know it it either vacillates it feels like it's been 20 years or it feels like it's been 10 minutes and this definitely feels like it's been 10 minutes so it's uh it's been going well in all that time I feel very fortunate that I am one of the ones who's been able to get vaccinated. So I am feeling this sense of optimism. You know, I think the vaccine brought me some peace of mind, but it also brought me some confidence about where we as healthcare communities are going into the future. So I'm riding a little bit of a high this spring, Mm -hmm. feeling good about where we're going and of where we've come from. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on what has made me most happy, what's brought me most passion in the last uh, year. And so it's been fun. I've been doing Clifton Strengths Finder and Patrick Lencioni's Table Group, you know, Working Genius and all these kinds of assessments to help me figure out exactly what's, what am I really passionate about and what am I potentially better at than other things. 
And yeah. so having that time for introspection and building on it has been awesome the last couple months. Oh, that's great. Um, you were telling me offline that you read something on LinkedIn from Adam Grant, who's mm -hmm. sort of a, I guess, a workforce employee um, expert. What? Give us an idea of that, because I want to know where I fit into this category you were describing <laughs> to me. Absolutely. And they say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you have not seen this picture, you've got to find it. So he was on Adam Grant's LinkedIn and it says, you know, the stages of COVID. And so the first one says, I'm going to learn all of the new things. And then the next one says, you know, pants are overrated and it shows somebody working on their laptop, you know, <laughs> pajamas on the bottom. And then the next one says like, oh, bed. And it's just somebody, you know, kind of slunched down. And then it shows somebody just laying, you know, face first on the ground. And then the final one is just a picture of a potato, <laughs> like just a potato. <laughs> like I've got nothing else to give. So right. I hope, Daniel, that you are not at the potato stage. But you know, that picture exists for a reason. So if you are, it's okay, because there's gotta be others that are, are there, there too. There've gotta be other potatoes out there with me. So uh, you know, I'll be all right, I'm not alone. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. You had, you had mentioned that to me right before we went live here. So thanks so much. Um, I wanna switch gears. You're gonna be speaking at our next virtual conference, uh, the Pathways Conference in May. I want to get this right. The title of your session is Practice Merger and Acquisition Case Studies. That sounds like a heavy topic. I want you to go into some detail. Give us an idea of what that's about, what someone can expect to learn from your session. Absolutely. And I'm glad you had it written down and you got it right, because I don't know if I could have pulled that from memory as well as you had it right there. So, but I will tell you, I'm excited about this session. I always feel like the sessions are, you know, made or broke by the attendees. So if you're listening to this, this is my uh, overt plea for you to please come on down, attend the session, actively participate, you know, in the chat and the Q&A. And I, for my part, will be prepared to talk with you a little bit about my perspective on mergers and acquisitions. And if you think about it as, you know, how many of us have seen that YouTube video that's called the evolution of dance where they go through, you know, starting at the Charleston and kind of going through to the ducky or whatever the cool thing is for today. It's not going to be that fun. <laughs> Maybe it will be that fun, but <laughs> it's going to take a look at the evolution of mergers and acquisitions. And so what are the things that we've learned over having now done these for decades? What have we learned from having done this in the last year? and have a really concrete discussion using some good examples to say, here's what you as a medical practice should be thinking about. What do you need to know before you even start talking to people about doing a deal? What questions should you be asking during due diligence? And finally, how do you make sure that this structure is one that's gonna be of maximally beneficial to you, whether it's you know initially and certainly what does that look like over the long run? So I'm excited to talk about the evolution of MNA. Again, no promises that there will be a Charleston or a Dougie, you know, representation here, but it will be really fun. I can promise that. <laughs> that sound that sounds great. Thanks so much for that. So because this has been a very unique year, what is going on right now with MNAs in the healthcare space? What's interesting to you? What's surprising to you? Tell us about that. So it feels like there's 
you know, Christmas morning is coming before us, it feels like there's a really big anticipatory excitement building. And I think part of that is that when we look at what 2020 brought us in terms of transactional deals, we saw a spike that happened in March and April as deals that had to happen, happened. And then we saw a fall off in a lot of transactional activity. I know Ponder and Company just came out uh, a couple months ago with their look at hospital merger and acquisition activity for 2020. And what they shared is there were 79 announced deals in 2020. What's interesting to me though, is that 28 of those were announced in the fourth quarter. And so we're starting to see a trend now come back up and look at more transactions happening. And I think everyone's starting to feel a little bit about that buzz about is 2021 going to be this banner year? That report that I mentioned, the Ponder report, says that we were 25% off the trailing 10-year average of transactional activity. And we were the lowest that we've experienced since 2009. So we really hit sort of a low point in 2020. And I think most of us are anticipating that there's going to be a pretty strong rebound in 2021. So that's sort of the buzz on the street is where are these deals going to come from? You know, who's in the market? How are these going to play out? But we're expecting a lot of activity in 2021. Mm-hmm. It, what's driving it? Is it the large systems? Is it the independent practices getting purchased? Where is the activity taking place? Yeah, good question. So in my world, I look at transactional activity from hospital to hospital, hospital to physician practice, physician practice to physician practice, and then investor to provider organization. That could be a hospital or a medical group. And so we are starting to see activity across all four of those areas. You know, we're starting to see private equity, that fourth bucket, the investor to medical group activity take place. We're starting to see more groups come together in mergers, whether they're legal only mergers or true operational mergers of practices. We're certainly seeing a lot of transactions in the medical uh, practice hospital space. And then those hospital transactions that I just talked about are really coming back. So it is not one sector or another, which is exciting. It's kind of all four are, are primed, I think, to move and are starting to move. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of one? I, mean, I don't even know if you were able to give us this, uh, you know, names of companies. I'm not sure what's under wraps and what's public <laughs> knowledge, but a, a recent merger and acquisition that might have piqued your interest. Yeah, you know, I've got one and it's not a secret, so it's a good one to share (laughs) because I won't get in trouble by talking about it. (laughs) Um, But I think the sort of wildfire buzz as of the recording date for this in late March is really been the Optum and the Atrius deal. And so if you don't know about this deal, Optum is a subsidiary of United Health Group and they have been growing wildly in terms of their medical group affiliations. And so they just announced <clears throat> that they're going to deal, do a deal with Atrius. And Atrius is, you know, it's about 715 physicians, medical group. It's got about 30 locations. It's reported that Atrius sees about one out of every 10 people in Massachusetts. Their locations are kind of all throughout Massachusetts, but mostly based to the west of Boston in that market. And what's interesting about this deal, the deal terms haven't been announced yet, 
but it's an exciting move, I think, for Optum in Massachusetts. So they had in 2018, Optum had done a deal with Reliant Medical Group. And Reliant had about 500 physicians, you know, a, a myriad of locations. And that deal closed for about $28 million. So we'll find out, you know, in the coming months what the, the deal terms are going to be of the Atrius transaction. But it's very, very interesting to see mega groups like that coming together with neither other physician practices nor a hospital, but looking at Optum, which is a subsidiary of a payer and it's standalone and they've got all those appropriate firewalls in place, but it's still, you know, a subsidiary of United. So that's been a very very interesting transaction to look at, very uh, often watched uh, right now. Okay. Um, you were talking earlier about a study you were looking at to just follow and, and trend what's taking place, some of the deals out there. Mm -hmm. When you think about it from a, a practice standpoint or a health system standpoint, what are mm -hmm. some of the key uh, indicators, the data points, the analysis that needs to take place to look to see if you should be in the market to be buying, if you should be in the market to go, okay, I'm ready to sell and be part of a bigger group. What are some of those key uh, performance indicators then? Absolutely. Good question. And uh, I'm coming fresh off of the last 60 days, having two separate medical group clients that I have seen a major red flag raised with each and that is practice readiness. You know, I think there, there may be some suppression of appetite from 2020 that's now, you know, people are getting really hungry for doing deals. But what I'm noticing is that many practices are moving forward with talks about transactions, but haven't done their own internal assessment and due diligence and readiness discussions to get them to that point. And so what's been interesting to me is for uh, taking a little bit of a pause and asking people, you know, the five whys that we talk about so much. If, if you don't know about the five whys, it's a methodology that's used in the Six Sigma Demaic methodology. And so it stops and asks, like, why are we doing this? You know, ask why five times. And somebody says something, keep asking why, 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 why. And so using a little bit of that approach with my clients has been very eye-opening because I've seen people say, yeah, I want to do a deal and I've got a rough idea of what the structure is, but they don't understand what is potentially their individual why. And certainly what is the collective why of the group? You know, if you don't understand why you want to do a deal or what you want to get out of it, it's difficult then to craft a perfect deal without having had that. And so that's one of the things I really have noticed lately is don't put the cart before the horse, you know, really make sure that you know what you need to get done internally. Why, 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 you know, why you want to do this deal and get that straight before you go to talk to potential partners or you talk about potential deal terms, really make sure that you've got that down before you do anything else. Mm -hmm. You talked about in the recent deals, a couple of red flags came up. I mean, mm -hmm. talking about it generically, what, what are some of the red flags that can come up that you have to, when you start doing those five whys, what, what comes up and then what do you need to then begin to assess? Yeah, I think one of the beauties of medical practice is often the generational differences 
that exist within the subset of providers. And one of the beauties is that, you know, everybody learns from each other, right? Our differences are what make us great, not what make us, you know, any worse. And so those differences, I think, are so important in so many ways. And yet, when you look at transactions, you start to see different drivers from within the generational leaders or the generational partners. And so if you have a, a seasoned, let's call it very nicely, not an older, but a seasoned physician who's looking at retiring in two to three years, they may be looking at a transaction from a cash out strategy, right? How do I get some dollars, help me fund what is gonna be my impending retirement? If you're young, you may say, listen, I'm looking at a deal that's going to provide me some stability, whether that's from a control perspective or an economic perspective, and one that's going to continue to support me in the next 30 years that I have to practice. And when you realize that those different drivers exist, you can see why there may not be always the same why that develops. Mm -hmm. And so how do you either come to consensus about what you want out of this deal or, and this is more difficult, help craft a deal, whether with your partner or that allows you internally to meet the demands of the different generations of your practice. And I mm -hmm. think that is probably just as easy as, you know, learning a new language overnight. It's, it's not easy, but it is doable, but you have to be open to the discussions about that being a real issue. You know, if you sweep it under the rug, if you don't talk about the fact that there are different drivers and there's different timeframes for where people are looking, you know, or have needs relative to transaction, you're going to find yourself in a place of hurt. So really be forthright, be communicative about all of those things. Mm -hmm. I've been part of two uh, acquisitions, been acquired. I had been hired and worked at sort of mom and pop family owned uh, media companies that were bought by very large media companies. And in both cases, um, you know, some of the processes got in the way or were kind of tricky to maneuver and navigate and took sometimes years to get mm -hmm. figured out. Other times it was more cultural, you know, go from family owned, little, little looser, not as quite, it's quite as much red tape, that sort of thing. That's right. What do you see as some of those themes that just follow transactions like this that can be sticking points if you maybe don't get into the whys enough when you're really trying to analyze it to figure out, do we fit? I mean, is this a good fit? Do we mesh? Are we on enough of the same page, the same universe where we can get together and do that same type of dance that you're talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, I often tell people money will make you happy for a day, but lack of lack of control over your day to day is going to make you miserable every single day. And I, I mean that. And, and with that, I mean to tell people you have got to think about what is going to change for you at 1201, you know, after the deal is effective, that's different than what it was at 1159. And in many cases, people have not either thought through or taken the time to understand what those differences look like. And I promise you, depending upon the type of transaction that's contemplated, there will be changes. And if you are underprepared or uneducated about what those are gonna be, you are gonna be in the camp that finds yourself miserable every day. And so just making sure that you understand how is decision-making going to happen going forward? 
are there going to be limitations on what exists at a local control level within my practice going forward? Am I going to have to run approvals over $25,000, you know, up the chain of command to whomever that may be? Things like that, that are impactful all of the time. Am I going to set my schedule or am I going to have to follow a template, you know, going forward? All those kinds of things that really matter in your level of enjoyment or frustration on a daily basis have got to be thought about. And if you are in the group where you're thinking, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Like, let me hold up a giant stop sign right here to say, it may be fine. It, it absolutely may be fine, but it doesn't hurt for you to ask and get clarity on that. Educate yourself about what that's going to look like. And that's true if you're on the buy side or the sales side. Having those kind of discussions on the day-to-day, -day, everyday operations. What happens that's going to be different when I flip on the light and walk into the practice today versus yesterday? Those have got to be had. Mm -hmm. You've touched on a lot of these aspects already, but I know this is a lot to take in for someone if they really are in that position where, because this has been a trying year. We've all read um, and seen studies on physicians just going, uh, you know, I've had enough. I mean, this, this year has been, been kind of a uh, inflection point for many physicians on whether, whether to retire or to go, well, maybe I'm needed for a few more years or whatever that situation might be. So when you're, in that mode where you're thinking, well, maybe it is time to sell or it is time to expand. Mm -hmm. Give us a couple of first things to think about then. I know you've touched on some of them already, but if we just were beginning to de develop an action plan, where do we start? Yeah. I think the first is don't be afraid you know, give yourself the ability to investigate some of these options without fear just because you have discussions with people or because you go into non-binding due diligence, it doesn't mean that you're stuck doing a deal forever. So don't be afraid, approach it with an open mind and you know, think about what you wanna be when you grow up, but don't let the last year's events stop you from getting between that and where you are today. The second thing I would say is make sure that you understand how transactional activity, again, buy or sell side, fits into your vision for your future. I think it's, it's easy to say, oh, I wanna do this because I want economic stability or I wanna do it because I need a succession plan without understanding how does that really matter for your long-term strategy. So make sure that you are discerning about putting any sort of transactional discussion through that funnel of your own you know, organization's strategic vision. The third thing I would say is bring stakeholders to the table as we talked about before you know getting people involved and invested and educated about the process is critical so have a steering committee that can really vet some of these things but then have regular education for your greater base so they understand what is happening why is it happening you know what's going to happen next i think that also helps dissipate some of the fear that i talked about first is having that information just gives people more confidence in what's going to go forward and then the last thing i will say is don't hesitate to craft and ask for your transaction again buy or sell that really reflects what you want or need out of a transaction. I think one of the things that we often hear is, you know, you're never gonna get it if you don't ask. And I think that's very true here. 
if you know that there is going to be a sticking point that having you know 15 minute existing patients part of your template is going to be the only option say that right at the at the front say that's not going to work for us what autonomy can we have to have some scheduled flexibility to make ourselves you know really happy going forward if you don't ask for those things or you don't raise them or you wait until the 11th hour to raise them it's a lot harder for those to be reflected in the ultimate deal so don't be afraid to ask for what you know to be important for your group going forward okay well thanks for that um we're going to switch gears for this final question all right you and I've talked about this before. It has been a difficult year. There's been a lot of challenges and stresses put on all of us. What have you been doing to make sense of it? What have you been doing to just find some kind of work-life balance, some kind of fun, bringing some kind of fun or experiences in your life, doing things you love? What's been going on for you? Well, I have not worked 24-7. I will admit that. I, I literally started cracking up this morning. I saw a post from The Onion, which is a satirical publication. Many of you may be familiar with it. And the headline said something like, HR warns employees from taking unapproved eight-hour naps during the time when they should be constantly working from home. <laughs> and I started cracking up. I thought, gosh, is that not the truth? I mean, I think we've all felt that sense of like, I need to be tied to my computer, you know, while I'm working from home. It's like, you know, it just, it totally, it, it, to me, highlighted the, the ludicrousy of it. So I have not been working 24-7 and taking only unapproved eight-hour naps. Um, one of the things I have been doing is I continue to train for climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. We've talked about that, I know, Danny, before, and it's still, the, the time frame keeps changing, keeps getting pushed out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, but there I am still uh, walking around my neighborhood with my backpack with my, my chunks of water into it. I will say, I just got a pair of new uh, hiking shoes, so they're, they're Hoka's, which are a very high support, high cushion shoe. If you are old and have bad runner's knees like me, <laughs> look into them. I promise it'll be a good suggestion for, uh, for your training. So look into the Hoka's. And if you ever want a hiking a partner or a buddy, feel free to message me. I can talk to you about what being an amateur, a very amateur hiker is like and, and where I started. What's well, wonderful. Amy, Good luck on climbing Mount Kilimanjaro at some point. Um, we will be waiting for your uh, selfies from the top. So uh, good luck with that. And seriously, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. And it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, letting me be part of this. Until next time, <laughs> I look forward to uh, having a good run of it. And I hope you all do too. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Amy Greeter. You can hear Amy speak at MGMA's upcoming Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference, May 11th through the 13th. For more information or to register, go to mgma.com slash pathways conference. And thanks to Nuance for sponsoring this week's show. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, 
Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.